Good morning. It's great to see you guys. I want to thank the pastor and the deacons for giving me an opportunity to encourage you guys to the word this morning. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, if you would grab your Bibles and turn to Romans 15, we're going to, over the next two weeks, camp out here uh, with one verse. Um, but I want you all to know we're going to be moving around in other places, so uh, it, it'd be really handy to have your Bible there with you this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. If you don't own one, just take that. You have my permission to do that. Um, if you don't own one, I want you to have a Bible. So let's read, let's read Romans fifteen thirteen this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In Luke chapter 7, after Jesus heals a Roman centurion servant, he goes to this town called Nain, and he sees a widow there, and she is grieved because she lost her only son. Jesus sees her weeping and struggling with this event, and he has compassion on her, and he raises her son to life. We move forward. And we see later that Jesus gets news that his good friend Lazarus has died. And what does he do? He weeps. And even though Christ knows that he's only going to be dead for but a few moments, and he knows he's going to raise him back to life, Jesus still shows the unmistakable emotion that death grieves him, that it shatters his heart. And in the midst of these stories, in the midst of him raising those back to life that are dead, we see hope. Ultimately, Jesus gives his life for you and for me, and he overcomes death for good, and he revolutionizes our understanding of hope. It's why he comes to take away our sin and to give us hope after we die. His resurrection is the vindication of his prediction to take away the sin of the world. Jesus unleashes hope to a world that feels hopeless. He truly is the God of hope. How astonishing of a way to describe our God, the God of hope. This is the truth, and he longs for you and for I to know it or be reminded of it this morning. And I say these truths first because I want us to see how quickly that Almighty God, despite what many skeptics say, he is not silent, he is not passive, he is not dead. He is very alive, he is active this morning, and he longs to lead us to understand 
who he is. Because without the God of hope, we will fill our lives with distractions. We will take our focus off of him with either the idea that he's not there or we will cease to distract ourselves. We'll create our own morality because we think he is absent or he's silent. And in these two worldviews, there's, there's nothing to look forward to. Once life has ceased and we experience death, in both of these views, hope is absent or it's misunderstood. So before we move on into seeing who the God of hope is and what he does, we need to define hope. Hope is not something that is simply concerned with an awareness of a vision or a theory or a dream or the unknown. But it conveys a confidence to us that leads us away from a world that says God is dead or silent or inactive. And it presses us to a loving Savior that is alive and desires us to be restored. It leads us to patiently wait for God's promised gift, which is for us to be with him forever. I'll say that again. Hope leads us to patiently await for God's promised gift, which is to be with him forever. And it rests with undoubted assurance that it is inevitable. So who is the God of hope? The God of hope, he's peace himself. He is one that gives it out to us. He's one who shows new mercy every morning. He's one who comforts us whenever we need it. And he's one who drenches grace upon our sinful hearts. And we must maintain this focus on who the God of hope is. We must maintain this focus on his true character because who God is is far more important than who we are. I'll say that again. Who God is is far more important than who we are. And Jesus' life lets us see God for who he is. He is one who gives hope, and not just for us in here. He gives hope for everyone. In the disease of our world, a world that leads to destruction and offers sin in such a kaleidoscope of ways, the hope of Christ leads us to a future that we long for. It's infinitely beyond the reach of the world. In fact, in John 16, Jesus says, yeah, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We cling to the God of hope this morning through his resurrection. And we shouldn't limit God either. We shouldn't limit his nature. We shouldn't limit his character by who we are. In fact, God comes down from heaven and he takes on humanity so that you and I might be changed he changes us in a way that no one can. In Colossians 1, we see that you and I were once alienated from him. This is an even scarier one. We see that we were once hostile in mind towards God and full of sin. But, it's a great word in the Bible. Anytime you see the word but, just underline it. It's good. But. Here's what he does. He reconciles us by his death to give us hope. He presents us holy and blameless before him. 
And he does this not to just save us, but to lead us to stand firm in the hope of the gospel. Again, we see our God is not passive. Our God is not silent. The God of hope is so intimately involved in the restoration of our hearts. And it's not our ability to do it ourselves or earn it ourselves. And we believe this as the Bible tells us that by grace we are saved through our faith. This is the God of hope. We have to rejoice in this. And you may say, well, Josh, I have a hard time rejoicing in that. Okay, but I would question you. You don't have a hard time rejoicing in other things, though. We don't. Our problem is not our rejoicing. It's our failure to rejoice in the God of hope. That's our problem. We rejoice in other things like crazy. Who in here has ever been to a sporting event? A lot of you. Yeah. Go to any sporting event. You'll sit down. And you will have strangers all around you. You'll interact with the people that you came with, but you'll rarely interact with someone else around you. Your team scores a touchdown, and grown men, grown men who are strangers, who will stay silent to one another until a moment of agreed happiness, and they will explode in joy together. This, this looks like a high five. You will even see grown men hug, who would never talk to any, anyone else that way. You even see men jump and push their chests together. Come on. It's crazy. Our problem is not rejoicing. It's what we rejoice in. Now, it's not bad to go to a sporting event, is it? No. But when we make these other things ultimate, and we don't want to put the God of hope above those, we create ourselves more pride and more idolatry. It's what we do. It's part of our sinful nature to take joy in creation rather than our creator. Our lack of hope, our lack of rejoicing in the God of hope is rooted in our false view of God or in the failure to truly believe that he loves us and he offers us something far superior. He offers us himself. Nothing else on this world, no event, no hobby, no person other than Jesus Christ will, a, will be able to offer you hope like that. And some of you really may have a hard time with this morning because of the hand that life has dealt you. Life may be really hard or it may have been hard and you may have a hard time believing this. So let me just tell you something personally. One thing that always leaves my heart in true awe of who God is, is that he saw the worst in me for all time. Even the worst in me after he has redeemed my heart. And he still gives himself to me. That's crazy to me. Our sinful state, our false view of our idea of hope or God, guess what? It doesn't catch him by surprise. He doesn't stand by idle and have this eureka moment one day. Hey, Jesus, come here. Holy Spirit, come here. Did you see Josh down there? His corruption is shocking. I can't believe he would do that. Well, I don't know. Well, we better get on that. This isn't, God is not caught off guard by who we are. It doesn't ever shock him. He knows. He's always known. 
Our sin and our inevitable death are two of the biggest reasons why he loves us. And if you're still having trouble with this, let's turn to Isaiah 57 real quick. Let's turn to Isaiah 57. We're going to look at two separate sections in Isaiah this morning. Isaiah 57. Go to verse 15. I love this. I love this text that just kind of punch you in the heart. It really is. Um, Verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. We see who God is, that he is high and lifted up, that he is one who inhabits eternity, and I don't think anyone else has or ever will do that. And yet... He longs to dwell with the lowly, with the contrite. And he desires to revive the heart of that one as well. Let's go to Isaiah 66. Flip over a few pages in your Bibles. I love that sound. You're turning your pages. It's great. Verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand made, and all these things came to be by me, declares the Lord. But this is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Here we see God's humor. We see his sarcasm a little bit. And he somewhat jabs at our efforts to create this awesome space for him as if he's pleased. He's like, yeah, all that stuff you're using, I made that. (laughs) I made all that. He does this, but yet he shatters this view, saying he's not that concerned with that. Here's what he is concerned with. He's concerned with the humble heart, the contrite heart. God is attracted to the weak. God is attracted to the humble. God is attracted to the poor in spirit. These are the ones who are willing to be honest about their false hopes and their sinful condition and who are willing to let the one who inhabits eternity give them hope. He longs to revive us. Who is God? He is the God of hope. Now, what does God of hope do? What does the God of hope do? We see in Romans 15, 13 that he fills us with all joy and peace in believing. God desires to fill us with all joy and peace. This shows us that God knows that we need to be filled. He begins to deconstruct our longing to fill ourselves with something other than him. And he gives us joy and peace in believing. Believing in what? Believing in who he is. That he is the God of heaven. That the gospel saves us. And that joy comes from this. And there's no grid of joy. 
It doesn't go like this. He wants us to fill us with joy, to fill us with this constant state, not just give us a glimmer of it or a small piece of it. When life continues to beat you up, to beat me up, when life continues to pummel at us, it's this constant feeling of joy and peace from our Savior that reminds us that he's there in the midst of our struggles. God does not abandon you as life gets hard. He's with you. This leads us back to the truth that he is the God of hope. That he doesn't leave us. He's the truth in the midst of our enduring. And this is real. This is real life, guys. It happens through our faith. And here's something else that I think needs to be said this morning. God does not grow weary or tired of it. I heard a DJ on one of the trendy uh, Christian radio stations a few weeks ago speak of God just hard at work, working effortlessly and growing exhausted for our good, sweating for us and doing all that he can so that we may be happy. Here's news to you. The God of hope does not grow tired. He does not grow weary as he makes all things work together for good. He is sovereign. He's in control. If we believe that God grows weary and exhausted, our sense of hope deteriorates. If God is too tired, we begin to believe the lie that he got it wrong. We begin to believe the lie that he has failed us. This is not God. The God of hope fills us with all joy and peace in believing, and he will never grow weary. And he has to. He has to fill us with all joy and peace because if it lacks anything, we will fill it with something else that is not him. When we choose to believe the lie that God does not do this, we will begin to fill our hearts, we begin to fill our lives with creation rather than our creator. My friend Brian Lowe tweeted this the other day, and when I first read it, I went, uh, but I read it again, and I read it again, and it really started to make sense. This is what he said. Idols don't love back. Idols don't love us back. We create a false idea that they do, but they don't. They can't. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible proves this point. In 1 Kings 18, uh, Elijah goes and he confronts King Ahab because he did what was right in his own eyes, and it was evil to God. And the people of Israel abandoned the commandments of God because of his failed leadership. And eventually you have the prophets of Baal and you have Elijah on a mountain at Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, I tell you what, you call out to your God and I will call out to the Lord and we'll see who rains down from heaven and who responds. So everyone else, they build their altar, they call down and God does nothing. And I love Elijah in this scene because he really starts to be dry and sarcastic with him and he says, hey, where's your God? Maybe, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Go look at the text. That's what it says. It's kind of funny. Maybe he's taking a nap. 
And then God shows up big, showing he is never too busy for us. God shows he's never asleep. God shows he's never in the bathroom needing privacy. That's not who our God is. And here's the ridiculous truth. This is the far out ridiculous truth this morning. In the presence of our idolatry, when we think our idols love us back, God still loves us. God still loves us. Amen? The God of hope reaches to the lowest points in our hearts, and he revives the darkest of hearts. David shows this. He wrote about it in Psalm 51. I love this psalm because it will eradicate all of our excuses that were too dark and were too dead for God to love us and restore us. In the midst of David's sin, his confession, and his pleas, he sees the Almighty as one who restores. He sees the Almighty as one who creates a clean heart in him as only God can. And he revives relationship with him. And David then longs for God to lead him again to the sweet fulfillment of joy and peace. We also see this from Jesus. We see Jesus dwell in the midst of the lost, with sinners, even with his enemies. His desire is for them to see the God of hope through how he lived. Even when the disciples desert him, And Jesus is left alone through his suffering and through his death. We see God, we see Christ give all joy and all peace in believing. After the Passover meal, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And I want you to take notice of something that Jesus does not do to the twelve. He doesn't demand that they go fix themselves before they partake. In fact, think about it. Jesus knows that every one of them is about to abandon him. He knows that. In the hours to follow, they will fall asleep in the garden when they should be praying, and then they'll completely desert him as he is arrested and beaten and spit on and scourged and nailed to a tree, and he dies. And what does Jesus do in knowing that? He still offers the bread, and he still offers the cup. Talk about some hope. And in thinking about this verse that we're looking at this morning, in Romans 15, that the God of hope fills us with all joy and peace and believing, It's written to the church in Rome who are loved by God, who are called saints. And it's undoubtedly mostly Gentiles. And we see that all over the book of Romans. There's no more distinction between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. The gospel is for all. And here's here's what just blows my mind. People in Rome are trusting in the God of hope. This includes tax collectors, those who are considered defiled. This includes prostitutes. 
This includes Roman soldiers and the men who led legions of Roman soldiers and Roman centurions. Now, a few years after, follow me, follow me here because it's important. A few years after the book of Romans is written, some of these will martyr Christians. They will use the bodies of martyred Christians as nightlights on poles and stakes to make sure Rome stays lit at night. Some of the ones who commit these acts will be captivated by the God of hope. They will trust in who he is. They will believe the gospel. They will encounter this and their hearts will be filled with all joy and peace in believing. And these ones will become a part of the church in Rome. They are not too gone for the God of hope. The entire Bible tells us narrative after narrative that those that society would say cannot receive God's love or his hope, that they get it. God shows over and over that there's no one exempt from the possibility of redemption. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about Waco. There's no one in Waco exempt from the possibility of redemption by our God and our King Jesus. One of my pastors said once that God democratized privilege. God democratized privilege. Today is no different. The God of hope, he is for you. He desires and he longs to restore you. And if you have been restored, he longs to remind you of this and to keep you. Wherever you are today in your journey, the God of hope is not too far removed from you. He desires you. He desires your hearts. He desires to refresh you. He desires to give you all joy and peace through believing. I'll close with this. In Genesis 2, we see that we are made of dust. Sin enters our hearts. Sin enters humanity and it fractures it. And we get the notion, we get the truth that we will now return to dust. But we can flip over to Philippians 3 and we see our, our citizenship is not in the ground. What does it say? It says our citizenship is in heaven. And from that, we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the God of hope. Let's pray.